the blast from our past network. Hey everyone, co-host Corey here. I just wanted to take a quick second and say thank you to all of our Patreon supporters. Without you, podcasting after dark would not be possible. If you would like to help the show grow, please consider signing up at patreon.com slash podcasting after dark. You can also support the show by purchasing one of our awesome t-shirt designs on our merch store at podcastingafterdark.com or by picking up a copy of Seven Winters Alone by David Irons on paperback, hardback, or Kindle. Just search for Seven Winters Alone on Amazon or click on the link in the show notes. A free way to help out is to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Those reviews are huge for us and really helps get the show in front of new listeners. Again, thank you all so much for the love and support you've given us over these past few years. It really means the world to us. Welcome to our Patreon-exclusive interview series for Podcasting After Dark with your hosts, Corey Stevenson and Zach Schaefer. Tonight's interview is with the star of Chopping Mall, TV's Otherworld, and Head of the Class, actor Tony O'Dell. Tony O'Dell, thank you so much for being on Podcasting After Dark. This is awesome. It's uh, fun to be here. Thank you. I, I, I must say... Uh, yeah, Karate Kid is a phenomenon. It is rightfully so. It's a huge part of our childhood, our generation. Um, but Otherworld, Otherworld. Is a show that we recently talked about. We have a we have a show on podcasting after dark called TV Obscura, where we talk about um, underrated or or uh, shows that kind of maybe pass people's radar. And I brought Otherworld to the table to talk about. And Corey's like, this show is amazing. <laughs> it was it was my first time watching it. And I mean, like, I'm talking like the first episode, you know, the show's dealing with like where the soul and robots are. And I'm just like, this is so ahead of its time and utterly amazing in, in 2021. But uh, but that came out, you know, back in the 80s. So it's like, wow, what an amazing show. Yeah, Roderick Taylor, um, our executive producer, creator, he just had a, a crazy mind. Um, you know, he was this rocker kind of guy and just was super creative and, and just had these wild ideas. And, you know, unfortunately, the show cost too much. I mean, I know that there's a lot of people out there, as you guys have found out, who were like other world. I mean, the, the soap opera, another world, or, you know, they just, they don't know that there was a sci-fi series that lasted for eight, I think eight episodes. Yep. Um, we were on like Friday or Saturday nights on CBS. Uh, and it was, you know, sci-fi series about a family that got lost in another dimension. And then the series got lost in another dimension after eight episodes. Um, but I hear that, I rem if I remember correctly, because I remember them talking about it on set, that the episodes cost a million dollars an episode. Wow. Which is completely unfathomable. Um, it, just because shows don't even, some shows don't even do that now. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, was, it was an incredibly expensive show. It had 
really, really, um, you know, big production because we got lost in a different dimension every episode. Yep. You know, one episode, um, my sister and I decided to perform some Beatles songs at a talent show contest in the high school, new high school we were going to. Well, we were in a different dimension, so they didn't know we were just singing Beatles songs. <laughs> and we became this huge phenomenon and concerts. And I actually even have a picture of myself in my hallway of me performing on stage at Universal. At the time, it was Universal Amphitheater. Yep, yep. Wow. So, yeah, it was the show was a big deal. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, in the concepts that it was playing with, uh, you know, I think could easily sit on the shelf against other shows now in 2021, you know, just other dimensions. No one was like, I mean, when I read comics as a kid. So like this was all I understood all this. But then I look at it from like maybe my dad's point of view and I'd be like, this would be all over his head. But well, let's bring it back. You know, yeah. Trey, Sterling, <laughs> Trey Sterling is now in his maybe 40s. Sure. Why not? Hey, you know. You're all pretty uh, sprightly. Yeah. By the way, you look like you haven't aged a day. It's amazing. Yeah. You know, it, it certainly takes a lot of work. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've always just trying to, you know, and thank you for saying that. I've always tried to just really take care of myself. Uh, my father passed when I was 21 hmm. um, prior to Karate Kid. It was two years before Karate Kid. And I, that was a huge blow for me. And, and, you know, my dad was only 55 at the time and um, he got cancer and I just, it just kind of made me wake up and I said, I'm going to try and really live as healthy as I possibly can so that, you know, uh, I can grow when I grow older, I can enjoy my retirement and enjoy my life and hopefully be able to put those things at bay till I'm really old, you know? Yeah. Um, so I've just always tried to live healthy. That's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. I, I mean, it's a weird thing. My, my, my stepfather who I was very close to passed away at 41 a week before his 42nd birthday. And it's one of those things when, when you eclipse that age, when I got to 41 and I'm like, am I going to see 42, you know, honestly. And, and I've, I've, he was a healthy guy, but he had some underlying issues that didn't ever got addressed. Uh, and so to this day, you know, practicing yoga and, and, and trying to eat relatively healthy, especially in this pandemic we're going through, it <laughs> makes it more challenging when those cheat foods become your comfort foods, which become your daily foods. <laughs> yeah. Cause everyone's just sitting around the house watching Netflix. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> um, you know, and I got seriously into, I have, you know, four bikes, I have two hybrid bikes for the road and then I have a spin bike and I have, you know, oh, and then I have, uh. Uh, an electric bike, which is fun. But um, aside from that, you know, before that happened, I was always into sports. So I was a swimmer by the time, competitive swimmer by the time I was 13. Oh, wow. So I was a competitive swimmer, diver, gymnast, and water polo player from the ages of like 13 to 18. And then I quit diving and just said, uh, well, I'll never be as good as Greg Luganis. We were the same age. I was like, I'll never be as good as him because he's just crazy on the diving board and I quit and said, I'm going to become an actor. And that's how it all started. Wow. So you went the route that, um, I, I on another podcast I, I run, I interviewed Mitch Gaylord and oh, he talked about sure. how his career, you know, post the Olympics, he, his, his agent at the time saw one thing for him. It obviously changed along the way, but you went the route of like, well, I 
could become the next Olympic hero or it could become an actor. And uh... <laughs> yeah, because becoming an actor is so much more safe. Yes, totally. Right? <laughs> than hitting yeah. your head on a diving board. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Uh, you know, uh, you emotionally hit your head in a lot of other ways. Um, totally. Yeah. With, with acting. But, you know, I'd always acted since I was probably, I think five years old, there was some acting camp they were doing at the local park in Pasadena. And they were like, who wants to throw confetti on the audience? And I was like five or six. I'm like, I want to do that. And from that moment on, I kind of thought being on stage, of course, was fun. You get to be a ham. Um, I was always kind of the ham in school um, and did plays. But it wasn't until I was 16 that I realized that I thought I did actually want to make it a profession. And then it didn't come into fruition until I was 18 years old. So well, take us through that a little bit. How, how did it come to fruition when you turned 18? So what happened was when I was 16 and going to uh, a theater in Pasadena at the time, it was the Jester's uh, uh, theatrical theater. Um, uh, I had started asking around, hey, does anybody, has anybody heard of this thing called a list of agents or SAG agents? And there was a father there who's uh, one of his kids were also involved with the theater and his other daughter had replaced Andrea McArdle playing Annie on Broadway. So I knew he knew what he was talking about. And he's like, yeah, here's this list of agents. So at the time I was about 17 then, and I was going through this list of agents. And coincidentally, um, Lonnie O'Grady from It Is Enough was on the Mike Douglas show. And she was talking about how her mother, Mary Grady, was this enormous agent for children. And I was like, oh, oh Mary Grady. Oh, OK, cool. I'll send her a picture and resume not a clue what I was doing. Yeah. Just this young kid with, with these aspirations of becoming, you know, an actor, cause it looked like fun. And my parents were completely against it. They're like, you don't know what you're doing. We don't know anybody. And I'm just secretly doing all this stuff on my own. Wow. Next thing you know, Mary Grady calls my mom when I'm in, in school, a senior at St. Francis in La Cunada, And she says, I want to meet your son. I walk in, I auditioned for her. Um, I had just turned 18. I looked like I was about 12. <laughs> and she said, um, I want to sign you. Wow. And within three months, I think on my fifth audition, I booked a movie um, and got my SAG card. And that was it. That's amazing. Wow. That's wow. amazing. Um, did it on my own. And I had Mary by my side the whole time. I say my house is the house that Mary Grady built. Um, <laughs> she just passed away last year at 96. Wow. Uh, so, but um, yeah, it's been, it's been an amazing ride. So 44 years now uh, in the business. Holy cow. I, growing up, were you, was there someone you admired uh, that kind of, you said, I want to be that guy or I want to be her or whatever, you know, on screen? You know, that's a good question. Oh, I mean, there was still, <laughs> that's a good question. I don't know if there was anybody at that time that I thought I want to be that person or I want to be that person. I know I just thought I want to do that. Mm. The, the act. Yeah. No, yeah. Just acting. Is, I want to do that. Passion. I want to act. Uh, I, I saw so many people. Yeah. You can see, you know, Robert De Niro and, um, you know, and just all of these incredible movies that I watched growing up. And I just thought I want to do that. And, um, and Mary, uh, my agent at the time, she, you know, 
a lot of times I was like, well, is this part big enough or is, is, this, an, is this enough money for something like this? And she always just said, do the work. Just do the work and become a working, just be a working actor. And she yeah. said, eventually all of that other stuff, the money and the fame and all that other stuff, that'll come. I don't want you worrying about that. And that's what I kind of tell my clients now when I'm coaching is, you know, is, you know, don't, don't think about all that stuff, just work. So, so she was a, a bit of a mentor for you as well. Absolutely. She was okay. a huge, she was a huge mentor. And, and in so many ways, she was like a, a, a mother too. I mean, um, wow. when my dad had passed, you know, she was like, Hey, come to the three rivers and hang out in the cabin for three days. And she was just an amazing, amazing, this amazing lady. Um, and she started the careers of so many people, you know, um, Melissa Sue Anderson, a little house on the prairie, Aaron Moran on happy days, Todd Bridges on different strokes. You walked in her office and it was anybody who had made it as a, as a young, as a kid in Hollywood, she was behind their career. Her son was also, her son was also Don Grady from My Three Sons. Oh, okay. Who played Robbie Douglas. So, yeah. um, you know, she had her kids in it and yeah, very, very influential. And, and it sounds, yeah, it must be nice to have, have some, had somebody in your life like that, uh, not just as an agent, but clearly someone who actually like, cared about you, like truly and genuinely. That's pretty amazing. Absolutely true. She, um, that was, uh, that was one of the most remarkable things about her is she actually really cared about her clients and you know, it's so funny. I'd go on auditions and I'd be like, oh, yeah, I went on this shit. It went great. And the producers invited me to their home. And, you know, and she's like, you're not going to anyone's home. You'll go on a callback. You'll book the job. Uh, you're not going to people's homes. You're not doing anything. You don't know what these people are all about. She just always like, you know, looked after me. And um, she also knew I was this incredibly naive kid. Um, she she kept you from uh, from having your own after school special. She, did. <laughs> she totally that's, that's hysterical. She absolutely did. Um, and she actually kind of took a real liking to me because my real last name is uh, well, the American pronunciation is Delaquila or in Italian, it would be Delaquila. And her real last okay. name was Igrati. So we were both Italian and we kind of had that in common. And then she was the one that said, no, take the Aquila off the Dell. You're, it's making you too ethnic and it's hard to get you into a room to play the all-American kid. Yeah. So she just said, take the Aquila off the Dell and put an O in front of the Dell. There you go. Now you're Irish. It's, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's so interesting how just the name change uh, will color people's opinions. Because we talked to Jisoo Garcia, you know, he used to go by Nick Corey uh, back in the day. And he, he talked about that when he changed his name, everyone's like, okay, now you have to play this. And he's like, but I was playing that before. Why does the name change matter? So did, did, did she suggest this to you before you started? Like you, you basically went in with Tony O'Dell? I think the first, the first movie I did was a, it was a horrible movie, but um, I was thrilled because with, with Carolyn Jones from the Adams Family. And, um, and that was the only movie I think where I was Anthony Delaquilla. And then I came home and she explained it to me. And at the time, granted, there's no, there aren't any computers. It's literally only yeah. pitching clients by walking into a casting office with a briefcase and all of your clients, eight by tens in a briefcase. 
and walking into Bobby Hoffman's office in Paramount and pitching and going, what do you need? These are my clients. What are you casting this week? So in the same hand, she would also pitch over the phone. And she said, if I was pitching you for an all-American role, I'd say, well, I have Anthony Delaquilla. And they'd say, oh, no, sorry, sounds too ethnic. What, what else you got? Okay. Wow. On the, and so she said, then you became a hard sell. Right off the bat, you have a ding against you, and I can't get past that. She goes, on the other hand, I would pitch you for an Italian role, and they'd say he sounds perfect based on the name and you walk in and she said, you are not the stereotypical John Travolta, Danny DeVito. And she said, and, and you're just not going to book the Italian roles. So we need to come up with a name that is more synonymous with your look. Okay. And that was how it happened. She hit the nail on the head because it fits. <laughs> she was she was incredibly, incredibly smart. About 15 years ago, I think I said to my agent at the time, oh, I think I want to change it back like John Cougar Mellencamp. Yeah. He's like, no, everybody knows you as Tony O'Dell. Leave it alone. And, and at the time, <laughs> you know, when when she's telling you about this and everything, like, does it does it feel weird to be like okay, but this is my name though, you know what I mean? Like, and then you have to change, or or, is, or were you like, eh, no big deal, okay, I'll change it. Did it? You know, you ask all? all the right questions <laughs> because you're hitting things right on the the nose because it's so funny. Because I was like, well, sure, like me, Mister Naive Kid, went along with everything, and I remember my mom telling my father at the kid at the uh, at the dinner table. And she looked at him and she said, so um, Mary Grady wants to change Anthony's last name. And she wants to change it to Odell. And it was just one of those moments like you would see in the Godfather of Sopranos or whatever, where my father was eating and he just took his fork and his knife and just like rested on the table. Oh, boy. And looked at me and kind of shook his head and went back to eating. Mm. And it was just one of those quiet moments like, really? This is what this is what he's this is what's gonna happen now, you know. Um so he wasn't thrilled about it, but ultimately, you know, was very proud from from the things that he did see me do, um, was incredibly proud of what I had started. Oh, that's good. That, so, that's great. So yeah, but it was one of those things where changing my name for me, I didn't think too much of it. But it, it affected him clearly. It affected him. Yeah. It's also such a generational thing too, I think nowadays. And 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 there is such a, maybe not so much nowadays, but back in the day, power, uh, there was so much power from a name and, and the lineage and the culture. And I, I think in some ways that's still very relevant now. But it's just it's just a different generation. I think of like my father, uh, you know, being kind of like tough like that, or my grandfather, really, you know, in that old school way. And and uh, there's something you know, to be said for that, though. You know, there is, there is. There's so much to be said about the old school way, and and um, man, we could sure, certainly use it today with a lot of the you know our youth and and just. The way thing in the direction things have gone, but no doubt, yeah, it was it was a, a completely different time. Well, and now people can, you know, like as you said, she would have to call in and say your name. Now, obviously, you can just deliver the IMDb page, and people can see it. So, do you find that 
nowadays for like young actors and do they need to change their name as I guess as much as they had to before you know what I mean is it as prevalent now I mean I get the idea of of you know pitching when you're only pitching over the phone they only have so much to go by yeah but now you can have a um you know a a different last name or a name that's not necessarily really synonymous with your look, but they can look and see you right there. Yeah. Yeah. Cause everyone's got an Instagram page and everything. So you can be like, Oh, here they are. Here's, here's what they right. look like. You know, there is something to be said about having a great stage name. I mean, I can sometimes meet someone, whether they're an actor or not. Hey, what's your name? And they're, they say their name and I'm like, Oh my gosh, that is a great stage name. You know? <laughs> um, so uh, I think it's a lot easier nowadays in terms of, you know, just in terms of auditions coming really quickly. And, and I remember one time I completely like said to Mary, I need to take a break because I was going on three, four auditions in a day. She was throwing me all over the place. But, you know, I would come home at five o'clock after being out all day auditioning and she'd say, okay, now you have to drive to 20th Century Fox to go pick up the script because tomorrow they're taking you straight to producers for something you haven't auditioned for and it's 14 pages wow and i'm like by the time i get to 20th century fox which is going to be an hour in traffic and get home i'm already fried i can't even memorize 14 pages tonight yeah and Nowadays, it's easy because now they can, oh, great, you're perfect. Boom, here are the sides. They email them to you. Good. You're, you're good to go. Yep. So at least, you, you know, you can, that, that fat has been trimmed in terms of having to do all the legwork just to go get the, the copy. Yeah, it's, it was our traffic is still there, though. <laughs> That'll always be there. That's still there. But at least that can be there on going to your audition. Yeah, yeah. Or your true. callback not just to go pick up the, the sides or the script to study. Yeah. It, 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 is, it is something that I don't think people always think about when they think about acting, especially back in the day, because there was so much behind the scenes hustle that you're constantly having to do. And you as a working actor, and it's so important, I think, to emphasize that because as a working actor, it's consistent, right? It's it's like you got to keep those gigs going versus you got that one big starring role and oh my gosh, you're a superstar, but then you never work again, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. And you know, Zach, she was putting me in for everything. She was putting me in for she had me going and I mean, I was had done over like 50 commercials. Um, I was doing print work. I was doing TV, I was doing film, I was doing voiceover. I had an animated series for two years called, um, it was part of the Scooby-Doo Puppy Hour where it's called the Puppies Further Adventures. Yeah. I had you know a, a series for two years with Nancy McKeon and Corey Feldman. So she had me literally everywhere. So like on that specific day, I was going in for a commercial, then changing for another commercial. So I'd go in a gas station, change my clothes, in the gas station bathroom wow. because I'm in Hollywood and I'm not driving all the way home. I don't have the time. Then I was going in for another callback or whatever. And maybe it was for back to the future or something like that. And then, and then coming home at five o'clock after being out all day and changing in bathrooms and different sides and auditions or whatever, and then coming home, Oh, you got to go back out. And I was like, Oh, no, 
you know, came like, I'm done for the I day. Just, I was fried. Yeah. Wow. I mean, yeah, that, yeah, that is such a, a unique mm-hmm. life experience, you know, all, all that kind of stuff. Uh, but that sounds like such a, a hectic sort of way to spend your days, but also very fun, I imagine, too, because you're it was doing fun. different stuff. It was stuff. incredible. I was really, you know, I was lucky in the respect that I was be able to kind of do all of those things, yeah. whether it was print work or commercials or, or um, you know, voiceover, animation. And she was amazing that she just got me out there everywhere. If every anybody nowadays, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> could have an agent like Mary, you know, someone who cared that much and just literally just threw you out for everything. Yeah, yeah. I was a, uh, I was a teacher for a number of years, 15 years, a kindergarten teacher and uh, transitioned to voice acting uh, about five years ago, right, right around the time his son was born and found an amazing agent in who's in weird way, kind of like, like a mother figure to me. She's been in the business for, she was Don LaFontaine's, you know, in a world, her, uh, his age. In a world. world. Right. <laughs> and so I, transitioning. Are you talking that, about Arlene? Uh, no, I'm talking about uh, Vanessa Gilbert. Okay. And just fantastic woman. And, you know, tell me, told me this business is wacky. Just get used to it. It's hard. It's very challenging. Uh, you got to hustle. And, and she's been nothing but great to me. But you're right about the mentor and that piece of someone who's going to be in your corner and recognize and be honest with you, you know, and say, look, this is a hard business. But if you put in the work, you put in the time, you don't give up, you just keep chipping away at it. You'll become a working actor, you know. And I, and I, and I don't think that, um, I don't know if, if really agents and managers care, care. I still run across them every now and then with clients that I'm coaching, but, um, I don't know if they really care and they're that invested in their, in, you know, in their clients' lives. Some of them are just, you know. Oh yeah. Trust me. I had one where, um. (laughs) I literally went into the audition and my agent comes out and he's like, Oh, uh, Chris. And I'm like, no, it's Zach. He goes, Oh yeah. Yeah. Zach. Um, where's, uh, where's your copy? Oh, here it is. And he walks over to the trash can and pulls it out of the trash. He's like, Oh, here, here it is. This is for you. And I'm like, uh, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> so anyways, um, and I just had yeah. to laugh it off because look, I've been with five-year-olds for 15 years. If I can deal with five-year-olds on a regular basis from, you know, 7.30 in the morning till four in the afternoon, then I can deal with the acting business. <laughs> yeah. I feel that similar. way now when I'm coaching and I'm on set and I'm dealing with anywhere from the ages of seven to the ages of 15, 16. There you go. That's, it's a lot. I it feel like I can deal with that. I can deal with, you know. My sister says to me, you know, you look so young because you don't have kids. <laughs> and I say to her, I have kids. Yeah, right. <laughs> I look I young enough because I only have one, but there you go. Uh, She's like, yes, but you don't take them home with you. Yeah. <laughs> True. You're not up with them late at night when they can't sleep or they're sick. So yep, she kind of has that, me there. Yeah. I, I do pride myself on solid eight hours of sleep. Good for you. <laughs> um, let's let's jump ahead a little bit to Karate Kid because you're in the middle of literally uh, busting your butt, auditioning, hustling, hustling. How did that all come about? How did you get cast in Karate Kid? And 
Can you walk us through that a little bit? Sure. So she, Mary sent me on the audition for this movie called Karate Kid. Didn't know a whole lot about it. Um, I think I maybe did know at the time that um, it was going to star Ralph Macchio, who I knew because I had done Eight Is Enough in 1978 and Ralph came into Eight Is Enough in 79. Yep. Um, so I was aware of who he was and I went on the audition and it was for um, the casting director, Carol Jones. And I read for her and she just said, I, I want you to meet John Avildsen. And she's like, you know, come back in a couple hours and I'm going to walk you over to meet him. So um, went to Warner Brothers and she walked me over to this studio uh, room and there was like a little thing of bleachers and a couple of rows and he was sitting in the upper row and kind of a dark room and she introduced us and I auditioned for him and I finished and John Avildsen just said really good hmm. really good he goes I tell you what I was only going to have four Cobra Kai's and um, I've already had them picked, but I like you. And he goes, so I'm going to make you the fifth Cobra Kai. Now you're not going to have as much to do as the other guys. You're not going to have the same amount of lines. You'll have a couple lines in the film. Um, he said, but you're going to be there the whole entire time. You're going to get paid the same and you're going to be one of the Cobra Kai's. So I remember calling afterwards and, and calling my agent, calling a friend and saying, hey, do I take this? Because, you know, it's only going to be like two lines in the movie. I'm going to be there the whole time. Um, and Mary was like, yeah, are you kidding? You, this is a job. You're going to be getting paid every single week and be on this major motion picture for over three months. Wow. So she was like, absolutely, you do it. And had no clue at the time, obviously, what this movie was going to be, what it was going to become. Yeah. Um, just no clue. And, you know, it wasn't until we saw the movie, uh, saw the reaction of the crowd uh, on, I think it was opening night in Westwood, where we snuck into the back of the theater. And John Avildsen turned to us and said, boys, we have a film. Oh, I'm getting chills. I mean, the crowd just up on their seats. And yeah, um, yeah, I get chills when I talk about it. Um, I mean, you told it really well. So. <laughs> it just, it was remarkable. And, you know, it was remarkable for its time. And then to see what obviously Cobra Kai now has brought so much light back to Karate Kid, but yep. now it's moved on and there's this whole nother generation. Um, it's just, you know, rarely do we see movies get remade either, you know, but, you know, it's, it's the movie now 30, it's basically the characters 37 years later. Yep. And to continue and the way that it has and the way it's been handled and the way those guys are writing the show. And it's just been kind of, it's kind of been mind boggling. Yeah. Which is nice. so, so great. I mean, look, I, I have many thoughts about this. Um, one <laughs> is, one is 
John Abelson, like, I feel like the way you told that story, he knew that this was going to be a big deal. He knew that this villainous, you know, gray villainous uh, dojo was going to be iconic in this way. Like he almost had all that foresight, right? You as a young kid walking into this thing and, 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 and your agent, obviously, Mary, like knowing, right, th- do this and it's going to take off. Yeah, do the uh, work. Do the work, yeah. And, and it's, it's such a beautiful thing. I, I mean, I am so happy. I know Corey is too, that it's not a remake. It's yeah. not a, with new characters, a whole new deal. It, in the continuation, which is in a way, is, is so refreshing. And, and I think it has really sparked a new idea for many people out there going, oh, we can take this film and, and from this kind of iconic, uh, I was talking to these guys from a movie called North Shore that came out in the 80s, a surfing sure. movie, and huge in the surfing community. And there's this following behind it where they're like, do what Cobra Kai did. You know, you guys are like now the mentors. Yeah, and that's the staple. Like that is sort of the thing now. It's like, do that. Like, don't re- remake it. Just have the gap actually there. And then, you know, and we, you could probably do that with Otherworld as well. And actually just have the character be the, you know, the same character and then have the age happen and everything. It's, it's, yeah. it's amazing. And obviously Cobra Kai is amazing, but it's, yeah, it's awesome. I, I like these the time that we're living in, I felt like we had to get through all the, the remakes. And now people are like, no, no, let's do it this way. The Cobra Kai way. And I like this way better. Cause yeah, it doesn't, I do, I do indicate, too. You know? Yeah. And I do too. And, you know, recently I was just talking to the director of a, of a, of a uh, cult horror classic I did called chopping mall. I actually just went to the new Beverly theater and that theater. the theater was sold out. Yep. And um, I was talking to our director and he's like, I would just love to bring it back now that you and Kelly did get married. You had a kid. This is now years later and um, have the series come back. But like I said, it's years later. You guys are divorced. You have a kid and something else you hear is going to happen where now you have to go back and try and keep this from happening and he said, but we treat it like the series 24, where we do 10 episodes, but that whole, all those 10 episodes happen over one night. Oh, I, love and I was like, well, that's a great idea, but you know, whether or not those things are going to happen or not, who knows, but it's really cool. Yeah. When you can see them just pick up where they left off. Well, and also too, I was, um, I went down a, a Tony O'Dell rabbit hole last night and I was reading, uh, some, some karate kid and, and Cobra Kai, like, um, you know, fan bases and they actually distill your character. You know, they talk about, you know, your character, they base all of the, the character's personality on your sort of your lack of lines and everything. And it's interesting how they took something that was more of a practical reason, which is, you know, he added your character because he liked you so much. And then it didn't. And then now they're extrapolating outwards as to why your character actually behaves that way. And it must be interesting to see people like put these pieces together when they might not have even sort of been there on screen but people love it so much that they're that they're creating this connective tissue you know or reasons i should say yeah and you know um and granted the things that are said on social media about me and oh you're not really a cobra kai you were just uh you know a filler and i i just i deal i've dealt with it for for years oh that's um, annoying and, and i didn't mean that that's not what i well, no i know you didn't okay. 
But um, it, it did bring something up for me that, that's funny is a lot of times I, I have to defend it because people say, well, you didn't have any lines in the movie. And I have to say, well, I did have one on the cliff in the beginning of the movie where I say, I thought they broke up. But when I said that, John put the react, the shot on Billy's reaction to that line. Yep. So I was like, no, my line, you can't tell I'm saying it. My other lines dressed is at the fence dressed as a skeleton. Yeah. So, so it's been very interesting that whole dealing with all of that, you know? Yeah. Um, But yeah, the, the whole connective thing is just, it's crazy. Um, And uh, yeah. I'm not sure I even answered your question correctly. <laughs> I don't think, I don't even know if I had a, que- a question there. Sometimes when pre- people bring up me and lines in the movie and I just go down this rabbit hole. The the the, the fan base, the da- the database was saying that the character was very like, uh, like studious and you're sort of like the good guy of the group. And that's why you sort of didn't really align to it. Well, so that basically- is actually true because John said to me, he goes, you know, you have a very, very clean cut, nice. Yeah persona and i want you to be the tag along i want you to be the one who's the nice kid who wants to be part of the bad guys he wants to be you know one of the cool guys so that's really kind of how you know he saw me and what i was supposed what jimmy was supposed to be so very often, yeah, you'll see the, the guys or whatever. And I, I'll sometimes, sometimes I am kind of like right behind them. And, you know, he's like, he's the wannabe. He wants to be one of the cool guys. And the funny thing about that, because a lot of times, you know, as actors, you play the, you get into the part. And the guys got very into when we were acting, kind of not necessarily pushing Jimmy to the side, but, but a lot of times I kind of felt like I was this kind of guy trying to, you know, weasel his way into the group. And the funny thing about it, it was, I was older than all of them. And I'm like, Hey, what are you pushing me aside for man? Watch it. Okay. I'm older than all of you. (laughs) I was 23 at the time playing 16, 17. That's crazy. That's crazy. And oftentimes on, uh, when we, when we discuss movies on our show and we break down, whether it's a TV show or a movie, we comment on how much older certain actors sometimes look when they're playing a teenager, but you fit right in. You did have that clean cut look. And, but you know, it's so relatable what you're talking about this, that the kid who wants to fit in with the cool group just wants to be a part of it. So he feels like he's a part of a, it's, it's, it's so relatable with that now. Yeah, yeah, we deal with that now. We deal with that on a regular, maybe even more so now where because of social media, we want to be a part of the cool group. They're touching on that in Cobra Kai, this, the series with the young kids on the show, you know, wanting to, wanting to not be uh, an outcast anymore and just wanting to be a part of something. Uh, and there's something very dangerous about that with kids. And, and as, as, a, as a parent and as a former teacher, uh, I get concerned about that because you always, you want to look out for those kids. You don't want them to fall into that. Well, you know, I, I say this to my son, like be who you are, not who your friends want you to be, you know? Absolutely. And it's, it's a beautiful thing that you can take this role and, and dig so, so much deeper into it, 
then John, John's telling you there's only four, but I'm going to make you the fifth. Like that is so that he's giving you that opportunity, right. To like dig deeper into this character and give it flesh, whether you have, you know, 18 lines or one line, it doesn't matter. Like you made it your own. And here we are still talking about it. 35 you years know later. What's even crazier is that Josh and John and Hayden, the creators of Cobra Kai, not only, I mean, I was so incredibly touched because not only did they, you know, give me the opportunity to really bring Jimmy more to life in Cobra Kai. Yeah. Um, they, they had me married, you know, Jen and the kids send their love is yeah. something I say. And, you know, so, okay. I'm like, okay, all right. All right, cool. So he's married. He has a couple of kids. He's, they're always brothers, but he hasn't probably hung out with these guys for a while. He's got his own life. Uh, Ron is pastor Bobby. So he's being busy being a pastor. Johnny is wrapped up in Johnny's life. So they gave me so much to work with. That's great. That really helped even take Jimmy even further and in the exact direction I think he really would have gone in. Yeah. And that's why when we were bar, you know, in the bar fight, hopefully people have seen this and I'm not spoiling something. Right. But when they had the fight, the bar fight, and the guy comes at me and I block his punch and I slug him in the gut. And I have that moment where I look at my hands like, yeah, I love it. That was something I threw in. Oh, that's great. When we were working the stun out. I said, Hey, I'm going to, can I pitch this? Can we, I show you this and then let's pitch it to the guys. Cause I'd love to be able to do this because next thing he knows he's, tr he's with these guys, they end up in a bar. And the next thing you know, they're in a bar fight. He hasn't done this in 30 years, <laughs> but it so comes I'm back like, like muscle memory fitting that I hit the guy and I'm like, Holy crap. I still got it. Yeah. And that's such a memorable scene. I mean, my wife and I watched and we were like, oh, that was great. That was a great character moment. So good. It was, it was a lot of fun. And, you know, my life has been, a lot of my career has been about comedy just because after, you know, being in head of the class, um, I've, I've been in, I've dealt with so much sitcom and comedy since then. And so I sometimes try and find a way to bring, you know, it's fun to sometimes have those kinds of moments in the middle of a, that's, you know, that's reality though. That's reality. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we, uh, I, I have these friends that I, I see every year or so. And, uh, and when we, when we get together, it's like, we want to start what we were doing back when we were in our early twenties, you know? Yeah. And I'm like, I can't guys, I'm going to tap out at nine o'clock tonight. <laughs> I'm going to bed at, <laughs> I can't go, I can't do this anymore, but there's humor in life. And, and, and yeah, that, that scene stands out so much to us because, and wow, that was great. It's great that you just threw that in there and obviously it stayed with us. Um, well, I was just thinking what's in Jimmy's head. And it fits yeah. the character. It fits the Holy character. Crap, I haven't done this in years. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I still got it. Boom. You know? <laughs> my wife's going to get pissed at me when she sees my knuckles when I come home, you know? Yeah, right. <laughs> um, you're, you mentioned the new Beverly. Corey and I have a fondness for the new Beverly cinema. We, we used to go there all the time back in the day. Uh, yeah. Corey's now in Oregon. I'm in Santa Monica. So um, the next time Corey comes down, after we'll definitely you know, got to go to yeah. Beverly. <laughs> but, um, and, and I was so bummed that I missed that chopping mall screening because you guys were there, obviously. 
uh, working with Jim Wernarski. He's qu quite an interesting guy, right? Would yeah. you say? Uh <laughs> yeah, he's, yeah, yeah, I think that's safe to say. Yeah, yeah. He, yeah. Jim um, is a very interesting guy. He's a hoot, man. He really is. I, I've seen him in interviews and, and read stuff of his and uh, in his, his body of work is, is very diverse, quote unquote. Um, but shopping mall is a, a, a big favorite of ours. Uh, fun film, uh, very GIF worthy, you know, GIF worthy or whatever <laughs> yeah, you want to call yeah, it. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think it's great though, that it's, it's, it's another film uh, project that's getting a resurgence seems like it's gaining in popularity once again. The soundtrack is phenomenal, by the way. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm a big movie score guy, and that Chopping Mall soundtrack has such a great synth wave score to it. Um, take us back with Chopping Mall. How, was that a fun experience to work on? It was. Um, Jim and I were just talking about this uh, the other night at the, the Q&A. Um, I mean, I just walked in and had this idea of who Ferdy would be and it was actually after karate kid yeah but, you know for me my job as an actor was just to kind of make myself fit into the character of the best way i knew how and you know i walked in and had a pair of glasses on and um i think at the time i did wear my my chino slacks that were way too tight and high water you know and jim was like you're Ferdy. <laughs> and I read for him and boom, right there. I think it was right there that he's like, uh, no, you're, you're my guy. You're my guy. You're Ferdy. And uh, it was crazy doing the movie. We shot it at the Sherman Oaks Galleria, which uh -huh. is now more of an outdoor mall than indoor. Yeah. Rest in peace after the yes, North rest Ridge in, earthquake. Rest in peace, Sherman Oaks Galleria. Yeah. <laughs> um, the exteriors were shot at the uh, the Beverly Center, mm. uh, but we were in that mall for, I think, three weeks, and I had to black out my apartment windows with foil because we arrived at the Galleria at, I want to say, eight o'clock at night, and we worked the entire night. No, I didn't leave until nine o'clock. Wow. in the morning. And I saw workers arriving at the, the mall in the morning. So I had then had to go home and try and get to sleep and then sleep during the day and then wake up about four or five and do it all over again. Wow. That's brutal. That's brutal. You're a vampire. <laughs> My niece actually tells me that. <laughs> like, you are, know, are you a nighttime person now? <laughs> like you're about to be 62 and you're, she goes, you're a vampire. Well, yeah. I mean, for those people that don't know, and obviously this is audio, but Tony does not look 62. No, no. I look 62. Yes. You, <laughs> Zach does look more closer to 62. Hey, how dare you, Corey? <laughs> yeah. That's just wrong. Um, yeah, it's, you know, not to say that when you're doing a film like that, you don't find some shopping store to curl up in a ball if you're not in a scene. Of and course, fall asleep. Yeah, um, you're not working 24 seven from that moment you get there to the moment you go home. You know, you're you've got you've got those breaks, and I mean that that's a time capsule in itself. And it, it I, I like this premise. I like this idea of doing something now, uh, what it, whether it's a short series or a continuation of the story in a in a feature film uh, atmosphere, whatever works. 
the, the, because malls, the eighties are so, you know, our generation's making movies now, right? They're, they're making television now. Sure. When we were all kids, there was this big emphasis on the fifties and the sixties because the people making the films were children of that time. Mm-hmm. And, and now the eighties is like, everything's neon. And unfortunately it looks like the nineties are starting to toe dip into things now. And I go, <laughs> oh, not the nineties. Grunge um, is coming back. Right? The eighties were iconic. Yes, they yeah. really are. Were, the 80s are. were iconic for so many, in, in so many ways, you know, TV, films, music. I mean, I love, to me, there was nothing like the 80s music. What are There's some of your favorite? Like going to concerts in the 80s. I went to go see Hall & Oates the other night at the Hollywood Bowl, who actually were really, really good. Nice. But I have to say, you know, I was turned around to a friend of mine and I said, man, I remember seeing Fleetwood Mac here in like 1982. Oh. And I mean, there is nothing more 80s than seeing Fleetwood Mac at the Hollywood Bowl, you know, <laughs> or like what if I went to go see Michael Jackson at the Forum, yeah, or, you know, or Madonna, whatever, just the 80s were incredible um, in, in so many ways. When I first went, uh, got to LA about 16 years ago, one of the first things I did was see uh, Motley Crue play on Sunset Boulevard. They were all back together, even like Mick Mars and everything. And I was just like, I'm living the dream. You know, this is it, seeing Motley Crue in Hollywood, you know? Yeah. You know what's crazy is Van Halen played at my freshman dance before <laughs> oh they were Van Halen. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah, they, they played high schools. Yeah, because I went to St. Francis on Lock and Yada. They played our freshman dance. That's wild. <laughs> That's wow. wild. Yeah. So that Dave was doing his split kicks in, uh, <laughs> in a gymnasium. That I can't quite remember. I think I was just like trying to figure out how to dance with my date, you know, it's just, you know. I, I, uh, I ran a school of rock program at my school that I taught at in, in, in the Valley. And, um, we had a big uh, event uh, to, to make raise money for the school. And a lot of the parents were celebrities and musicians and whatnot. And, and so they put this super group together, these uh, different guys from different bands and, and from people from Blondie and people from Guns N' Roses. And then they have me singing one of the songs. And I'm just like, are you kidding me right now? You know, <laughs> this is fantastic. Living the dream. Yeah, um, that's amazing. It's wild. It's wild. Yeah, there's nothing. My son loves 80s music and he loves everything 80s. And obviously I have a huge influence on that. Uh, but, you know, right now he's he's so immersed in that. And I talked to other parents and they're like, oh, my kid doesn't, my kid can't stand anything I listen to. They want to listen to BTK or whatever. And uh, not BTK, B- I don't know what. I don't even know any of the new music out BTK there. BTK is a serial killer, but that, anyways, that's a whole other story. Uh, uh, no, you know, he's like, oh, put on that Go West song. And I'm like, oh yeah, let's listen to some Go West right now. Um, but yeah, I think Chopping Mall should be redone as well. I think, I know we're, we're, we've got a little bit of time left. Head of the class, I want to talk, talk about head of the class. Well, it's really crazy because I'm saying basically my whole life has been rebooted now. Yes, come on. Because Head of the Class is coming back. Oh, um, is it? Oh, it's going okay. to be on HBO Max. It's going to be actually premiering um, soon. Uh, so they've, they've I think, done, they did 10 episodes. Um, That's great. So Head of the Class is back. You know, Karate Kid, Cobra Kai is back. Chopping Mall, who knows? That could be back. So yeah, everything has just come full circle. So it's been a really very interesting time for me. It keeps you relevant. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's definitely been a lot of fun. 
weekly I'm talking about Karate Kid or I'm talking about Head of the Class or I'm talking about Chopping Mall. And it's just, um, they're also different too. You're not talking about Otherworld except right here. (laughs) (laughs) And now Otherworld. um, Otherworld, you know, that is, it was such a fun series to do. And I think that was to me, one of the more disappointing things for me is only being able to have done eight episodes. Yeah, because uh, it's a really smart, it's a smart show. You have a really well-rounded uh, character, you know, and, and and the family dynamics are good. Corey and I love it. And um, I know we started off the show talking about Otherworld. And, it, and I think I'm going to show you, this, oh, is, wow. this is a picture of me on stage wow. at Universal Amphitheater dressed like full on uh, full on rocker that is awesome but there's this giant silk screen behind us at universal that says trace and gina and they did this silk screen that was over 40 feet high of my face both of both of us but you know that's so i'm gonna was universal amphitheater which became the gibson which is now no longer Yeah. yeah yeah Yeah. And, and I, I don't know, I, 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 the name escapes me right now, but there was a movie that came out, came out a few years ago where it's like an alternate universe where this guy, the Beatles never existed. And this guy starts performing all the Beatles songs and people think he's this big deal and he's on the tonight show. And, and then suddenly someone starts calling him a phony and they're like, you're doing, you know, these aren't your songs. And it becomes like a twilight zone. I wonder if they watched other world first and said, Hey, you know, I, you know that's very interesting because uh, that definitely could have could have happened. You know, fortunately for us, we were in a d- another dimension, so nobody knew that we were, you know, stealing <laughs> but, Beatles songs. But uh, you had you had a great um, guest starring cast on that show too. And in, in the in the first episode, Amanda Wiss uh, on my other podcast two dollar late fee we put a, a funny like video the montage that you guys have which is so <laughs> well, fun <we> did <laughs> such a great montage i love that montage, the only by the way. romance montages i've ever done in my life well <laughs> if it's gonna be the only one it's pretty darn good because uh i looked back at it and i'm like oh really i cut my finger here look i mean <laughs> some of you know, and then the two of us gallivanting down the hill, holding hands. I love it. That's actually the hill on the back lot of Universal. Oh, you know? really? <laughs> yeah. As you're approaching Barham Boulevard. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yep. You know, there were cars whisking by <laughs> down below as we're both tripping down this hill. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I love Amanda. We had so much fun um, on that on that show. There is a uh, there is a. Uh, a version of that on YouTube that has the original commercials from uh, KTLA or, or KCBS or whatever the CBS station was right. in, in 1980, whatever. And so in between uh, breaks, all those commercials are there and they're promoting different shows and, and all these car commercials. And it's just, it's a great time capsule. Um, wow. I, I'm, I'm like, I was blown away. Corey and I were like, wait yeah. a minute. Oh, this is, this is makes it even better. It's yeah. all the commercials in there. <laughs> yeah, that show needs to be remained. I, I just love, first of all, I love that you're on our show with us talking about your career and getting a sense of who you are as a person. Uh, and it is an honor, sincerely, to have you on our show and just to kind of trip down memory lane with you. Thanks, um, and, and thank you for, for, for giving your time to us because your career 
it's so expansive and it's so much more than just Cobra Kai or, or, or Karate Kid, or it's so much more than just head of the class. It is this huge, beautiful arc. And the fact that you, uh, are you know are in in your 60s and and continuing to work today and and mentor other people young people coming up it's really a beautiful testament and and a nice success story that you don't hear all that often from your generation being a child actor of the 80s uh yeah thanks it's just um it's been pretty remarkable for me and it's been um, I really truly feel very blessed to have been able to have had the the career I have. And it's not like I've done, you know, I, I mean, one series for five years is great, but some people, you know, do three, four series and they just, you know, um, I wish I had done 10 movies like Karate Kid. Um, but to have been able to have been in it and done it for this amount of time. And like you said, now be able to pass this on to uh, my younger clients, um, and so many of them I am so proud of, um, Zendaya being one of them. I've, you know, been, I've, I've worked with her for uh, almost 11 years. Wow. And um, up until like Euphoria, we were still, you know, great friends. She's off doing her thing. I don't work with her on auditioning very much anymore because she doesn't really audition much anymore. <laughs> she doesn't have to. Um, but we're still, you know, we're still tight. And I just saw her for her 25th birthday and um, just so oh I've never seen anything happen like that before where someone, <laughs> you knew they were 13 years old and now 11 years later or 12 years later, the, the rise that she has made and the poise in the class and um, uh, just, just the, the choices that she's made. And it just, you know, it just, it's awesome for me to be able to, see people like her just flourish. And other clients of mine, you know, Aryan, uh, he's a young kid that I've been coaching and he just finished a couple movies and right now he's doing something off Broadway. And Fantastic. And, um, you know, it's great to be able to pass it on. I will and, tell you, uh, my, my son is, he's seven. He's just gotten into the Marvel universe and he's watching all the Marvel movies. And uh, I ran a Greek mythology summer camp this past summer where totally immersive where all the, uh, I should have gone to that camp. (laughs) Oh yeah. I mean, you would have loved it. It, it, So literally it was five weeks, uh, outdoors and each week was a different quest And the kids. I had upwards of 40 kids and I had actors, the counselors and myself, we, we were actors as well. Uh, we were getting possessed and we were battling minotaurs and, and Medusa and, and Perseus and Pandora, this whole gamut. My son went for all five weeks, but oh was gosh. not at all interested in Greek, myth, uh, in, in, in anything besides Greek mythology. Right. Right. But he had a great counselor and a former student of mine, which is a whole other story, uh, who's now 21. And he was telling my son about Thor and Loki and Norwegian mythology. And so we come home after camp's over and Bodhi goes, I think I want to check out um, Marvel Thor. I'm like, okay. So that opened up the rabbit hole to all these Marvel movies. We get to Spider-Man. We're watching all this new Spider-Man movies. Mm-hmm. And he sees Zendaya and he's like, she's cool. And I go, yeah, like her character's really cool. Like this energy about her, it, it just th- this confidence, you know, and, and the arc and just really nice to see her career continue to go up and her quality of acting continue to get better and better and better. It's really, I mean, that's a testament to you as well. So tip your hat. 
it's been it's been uh, it's been amazing. Well, her work in Euphoria has been crazy, you know. And she ended up getting the the Emmy for that. And yeah, um, I can't wait to see Dune. You know. Uh, oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, but yeah, she's she's been it's been uh, it's been pretty crazy. Um, so yeah, you know, you try and give. I try and teach them stuff I've learned. Uh, you know, give them the best tips I can. Um, had someone show up at my house the other day to audition for something said, Oh, sorry, I'm not completely off book. Cause I uh, went out last night and I was like, that's not happening. Hmm. I said, sorry, you know, uh, you have an audition don't go partying, don't go to a club, don't go out the night before, or yeah. at least not till late. Yeah. Because you can't do your best work. You're not going to be able to give the very best and all of yourself if you're out late, carrying on, and that's energy you're putting out. Now you're tired. Now it's hard for your brain to click. And we're trying to work now and your brain's not clicking because you're tired. And you, you're just not giving yourself the very best opportunity to, to really put your best foot forward and kill this. Yep. So I just try and, you know, raise them the best way I know how. And, and um, I'm, I'm tough on my people, on my students. I just did uh, Secrets of Sulphur Springs in New Orleans. I'm the acting coach for, for that show. It's on a uh, Disney and Disney plus it's called Fantastic. the secrets of sulfur Springs, you know, and I'm sometimes hard on the cast, you know, I'm, you know, sometimes, you know, they're goofing around on set or whatever. I'll step in and just be like, Hey, knock it off. I know it's 108 degrees outside. I know we're getting bit by a million bugs, but right now let's try and stop fooling around. Let's do the work. But then also on the same hand afterwards, I'm like, come on, let's go get ice cream. You know, totally. <laughs> You, you, I try and be that for, for them is just, Hey, uh, I'm trying to be the great mentor who really teaches them and helps them. And I'm, and I'm hard on them on the same hand. I'm also going to be their good friend. Well, that's what a, that's what a true mentor does. Yeah. A true mentor is someone who doesn't just sugarcoat everything and is the best buddy all the time. The, 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 I've said to my son, I said, if I didn't love you, I wouldn't, talk to you about these things I need to talk to you about. If I, if I didn't love you, I'd let you do whatever the hell you want, you know, run around with nails in your hands or, you know, you know, yeah, well, you, I do this because I care. Yeah. Exactly. If you care, you will mentor and try to shape them. I love that. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. Yeah. yeah. And I tell my actors, you know what, when you're acting, let me see that whatever you're portraying or whatever you're playing, let me see that you care. Because if you're just kind of doing this scene kind of, you know, half-assed or whatever, not giving your all, why should the audience care? The audience is only going to care when they see you fully invested and you care. Yeah, totally. Oh, that's beautiful. So, Tony, thank you so much. This was truly, truly an honor. Really was. Thank you, Corey. And thanks, Zach. You guys have, uh, you guys have been a, a hoot and you certainly did your homework. I'll, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> well, yay. Because um, nothing is more embarrassing when someone hasn't and they're like, so tell us about your life. Right, right. No, um, we're, we're champion other world here. So we're good. We're trying to bring it back. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much. And uh, really sincerely, thank you for your time. 
Uh, thanks, guys. Um, it's been great. And um, best of luck to you guys as well. Thank, Thank you. you. We'll Tony. talk to you soon. Okay. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Podcasting After Dark's exclusive interview series with Tony O'Dell. And as always, thank you for your support. Imagine being one of the last people on Earth, being trapped alone with something not human, something always watching, something always waiting. What would you do? Where would you run? Where would you hide if you were haunted for seven winters alone? Podcasting After Dark presents Seven Winters Alone. A dystopian haunted house story by David Irons. Available now in paperback and ebook.